Really hard to energy. do when one of your ears hears perfect and one of your ears does not. I kept running out of breath. I think I'm me. dying. It's okay, you're 30. Everything's harder when you're 30. I'm going to untuck my shirt. Ever since you turned 30, I can't hear, right? <laughs> <laughs> my friends started dying when I started 30. 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 There we did. There we did. There we did. Zero credits. that noise (laughs) and welcome back to zero credits the show where we talk about things my name is henry and my name is john and together we're henry and john coming at you with the cultural happenings of the zeitgeist in which we discuss the things that happen therein (laughs) don't ask (laughs) so wait we discuss the things that that happen therein within the zeitgeist the cultural happenings of the zeitgeist therein therein (laughs) i want to um, i'm sure grammatically that stands up no i think it does a lot of people don't say therein i like saying therein because fuck you know one of my favorite words to spell heretofore heretofore is good i like nevertheless or nonetheless uh, heretofore is good because when you use it in casual conversation, people freak out. Oh, yeah. It's like saying habeas corpus. Yeah, don't use it in a group chat, though, because then people will fill it with gifts of people, like, signing the Constitution uh, and shit. Heretofore, forthwith, in a fortnight. One of my favorite, uh, activities is just destroying people in a group chat for a simple misspelling. <laughs> we have noticed, we be my wife and I, have noticed that anytime she misspelled something which that happens to be an animal you post <laughs> gifts of that animal not allowing her to be like oh not that not not bat that and you're like no and then one time i joined in and he said yeah f- fucking get him <laughs> yeah about my wife that's what you should do no mercy in the group chat. and when i saw that I laughed. I laughed at fucking get him in reference to my wife. She also laughed, to be fair. There's no... Look, there's no mercy in the TL. No, the GC. There's no mercy in the thread. The general chat? Posters beware. Group You're chat. in for a scare. Well, that's why we don't group chat with our fams. So people won't go away from us. That's why we don't have a Discord. Because people would be turned off also nobody i know uses discord as like a chat room that's a weird gen zer thing a zoomer thing zoomer zoomer is that what we're calling them is zoomer after gen z i don't know i'm opening a beer so you're opening the uh the sponsored beer of this week it's a fucking hans pills you guys have heard about this beer before i'm the only one drinking today 
Yeah, I'm trying to drink less because my birthday was over the weekend and I drank too much. Oh, happy birthday, Kanye. Yay, Kanye. That was, uh, so we were in one of my favorite bars. Uh, it's not even my favorite. We were in a bar with a really good beer selection, uh, that's part of the domain, which is like a hyper gentrified concrete tumor. Uh, and there was a waitress, a server, who, when she learned that it was my birthday, said, Oh, it's also Kanye's birthday. And an Instagram fitness person I follow. MG, Emily Rajakaka. Rajakowski. She couldn't even say it, which was amazing. Yeah, no, even she, the bearer of the fact, when we had to get the burden of proof from her, she could not provide a last name. So probably she was lying. And to be fair, it wasn't actually your birthday, but that's not going to stop me from wishing you a happy Connie's birthday for the rest of your natural-born life. It's a shame because my actual birthday is on Prince's birthday. Oh, well now, I was trying to obscure your actual birthday, but now that people know that you are the same age as Prince... I, I am the same age as Prince. Uh, now, Kanye, enough about Kanye. Alright, that's fair. We have a duty sworn... No, we have a blood oath. We have a... A call of duty, modern warfare. <laughs> we have a call of duty, modern warfare, to discuss, like you said, the cultural happenings. And there's one biggest cultural happening happening right now. Yes, for one niche corner of people's interest and hobbies. The biggest event of all time, just... <laughs> Kind of wrapped up. The biggest event of all time for this very specific niche just wrapped up. And we are, of course, referring to Godzilla, King of the Monsters. I thought we were talking about the Women's World Cup. My bad. Oh, no. The Women's World Cup is... It's the Godzilla of soccer. And when I say wrapped up, I mean one game happened today and the U.S. women's team won 13 to nothing. Uh, the U.S. women's team is incredible. More people should be talking about the U.S. women's team. No, so good. Like, it, the what was the name of that goalie that kept us in the Hope World Cup? Solo. No, the the male goalie that kept us in the World Cup for a long time, like eight Pat years ago. Salah. It was like Tom Wilson or something. Yeah, I remember him. The, the, it was like the Germany versus him game. Yeah. He, he kept us in for as long as he did. USA pro soccer, not good. Uh, but the women's wi pro, women's pro, pro soccer, soccer, so good. They're, Very good. They won last they're, cup. They're a dominant force. More they're people the, should care. They're the Germany of women. Speaking of more people should care, Godzilla, king of monsters. Yes, Godzilla, king of monsters, king of the monsters. Just king of monsters, calm. Like the, the 30th Godzilla movie, maybe? Something 30th like 30th how? Like, 30th movie? No, no way. No way in hell. No way it's that many? Godzilla started in 1955, John. They have had way more than 30 movies. See, that's the thing, though. People don't realize that Godzilla movies are a constant, but there are big gaps in Godzilla. Huge gaps. And I might be counting more Godzilla movies as Godzilla movies, because there were, of course, Mothra had her own line of movies. Rodan had... I count all of those as, as as Toho Godzilla movies. Okay. And that's totally fair. Ultraman. <laughs> uh, but, uh, I mean, there there have been spans in the past where there are seven years without a Godzilla movie. Yeah. 
Uh, and Godzilla, King of Monsters, the sequel to the 2014 Godzilla flick. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, which I have not seen. In oh. A, I, I saw part of it on, like, Showtime or something. You saw part of it in this movie. Yeah, I did see the only part that mattered in this movie. Uh, and I, I think that this isn't, like, supplemental reading territory. I'm not going to give anyone any spoilers about Godzilla. But I do think that it's something that I don't get to experience very often. Other than, I guess, from now until eternity, I can experience this with the Fast and Furious franchise. What do you mean? Uh, I have been able to experience something that I can say kind of from a distance. Probably not a great movie from a critical standpoint. Uh, but because it is something that I care deeply, deeply about... That it spoke to me as a fan of this thing, and I really liked it. Because here's something that listeners of the podcast might not know. I really like Godzilla movies. Yeah. Godzilla movies are the best. We are of a kin in that regard, because I grew up, you know, there wasn't a lot of things on TV for a kid growing up. If it wasn't animated, I didn't like it. Mm -hmm. There was one exception, and that was the Godzilla movies that would come on what would turn into the sci-fi channel... Yeah. And then eventually to the sci-fi <laughs> channel. <laughs> but, but Godzilla movies used to come on late at night on, mm -hmm. on, on like the, the upper numbers and they were in black and white and they were dubbed over in English with Japanese actors and every second of it was just glorious. I bought, I didn't buy, my parents bought me the toys. Mm -hmm. And my favorite memory of the toys was you would turn over and you would see the little red copyright symbols of all the monsters in that series of toys. Mm -hmm. And you're just looking like, oh, man, I've never heard of Ghidorah. Oh, I, I need to get the, the Ghidorah one because mm -hmm. he looks awesome, even though it's just a silhouette on black of the symbol. Yeah, when, when I was a kid, I had a bunch of Godzilla toys. Uh, my favorite was like a... Like a foot tall Godzilla Heisei figure, the one like the one with the pointy tail yeah. and the kind of silver spines. Love that. Uh, I had a little Mecha Godzilla. I had Ghidorah. I had I had Mecha Ghidorah. I, I, I had the one that if you like pushed in on a spot on its back, you would get the classic roar. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I feel like Godzilla. There are franchises like this, I'm sure, but I feel like Godzilla is one that kind of pierces the veil more transparently than a lot of other movies do that clearly drives a line between, yes, this is the critical reception of a movie and this is what a movie actually means to the people who are seeing it. And I feel like Godzilla movies cut to the quick on that issue faster than almost anything else other than maybe Disney movies, but Disney movies typically are critically very well received. There's a weird thing when I tell people, like, hey, yeah, over the weekend I saw you know, Godzilla King of Monsters, and they ask me how, you know, oh, how is it? And I always kind of, I, I, I've caught myself saying the same thing. It's like, I liked it, you know, it's a Godzilla movie. Yeah. As kind of like excusing whether or not it was good or bad. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel like Godzilla movies, and maybe Fast and the Furious movies by extension, like movies that are, are of a certain just type, like auteur movies, I guess, they kind of fall into this realm of like, I don't look at these films with a critical lens. You can, mm -hmm. absolutely, if it's your job. But I also feel like some people don't put on the lens of like, let's not examine this 
next to like Avengers Endgame, mm-hmm. let's examine this in the realm of the other Godzilla movies. Like, take a literary approach rather than just a generic critical approach. And it's difficult because the the kind of criticism I feel like people will typically cite, and the ones that like for the most part, prop up your Rotten Tomatoes critic scores are a kind of criticism that doesn't really touch at why these movies are successful, or at least successful in doing what they're doing. So, like, for example, in Godzilla King of Monsters, they made that movie with a very strong love of the source material, and we're going to talk about another thing in a second with an even greater love of that. But... Like as a as like a intertextual piece, like something yeah. that refers back on the history of Godzilla itself. I feel like it's a work of art. Like it does really incredible things. Like it 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 completely remasters like certain tracks from the original Godzilla, keeps the original Godzilla roar, like it it does a lot of stuff that I feel like with a very wide lens you could say this movie's actually how housing a lot of artistry behind it that's that's meaningful but just because these movies for the most part can't afford to spend a lot of time on the things that movies typically are like critically lauded for that they can't review well yeah i I mean i hear what you're saying like i i you hear critics toss around like the term like oh this is a love letter to blank all the time but this is the one time I really feel like it fits. Like, yeah. Godzilla King of Monsters is that an absolute love letter to the Godzilla franchise as a whole. Like, they use... The, you're right. They use the old roar. And, like, they don't do anything to it to modernize it other than maybe, like, remix it so it sounds a little more crisp. Yeah. But it, it's, like, note for note, the original roar. And for some reason, it works. Maybe because it's a Godzilla movie. Maybe... Because my, I have my nostalgia earphones in, I don't know. Yeah. But they're, like, the writing, of course, is, 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 is the writing, you know? The writing will always be the writing in the Godzilla movie. I find it so hard to, because the, the thing that this movie is typically getting panned for critically, number one grossing movie in the world, so it's doing fine. Nice. Or at least it was for a second, not in America. Uh, but the, the writing in it is very bad in a very American way. Um, but I feel like the downfall of any Godzilla movie, critically speaking, is that to be a Godzilla movie, it has to be about the interplay between the existence of a god incarnate Godzilla and the existence of human beings. And yes. those two things exist at separate sides of a continuum. They're quantumly entangled as one moves, the other moves, and that has to be how you tell a Godzilla story. Yeah. You have to tell a Godzilla story with humans, because humans are the lens through which you understand the majesty of what a kaiju is. It, it, you can't have a kaiju movie without humans. It just, yeah. It really doesn't work. It's not like recasting everything as animals, because even the animals are perceived as having human-like traits. The kaiju don't have human... Like, they... I was telling my wife this, like, the existence of kaiju in the world should be akin to, like, elder gods, like, eldritch yeah. horrors. Like, people would probably be going mad with the existence of thing of these things. And that's something the movies never really touch on. Mm-hmm. But, like, you need humanity to parse the monster story, because without humanity, 
It's Transformers. Yeah. It's, I, it's metal cl- scraping against metal with the camera too close and Shia LaBeouf staring in awe while doing absolutely nothing. Yeah, the, that's where I think the Transformers movies fail and why I think that uh, Godzilla King of Monsters kind of succeeds. But I feel like your typical Godzilla movie has to succeed in this way. Is that, And they say it in as many words... But it's the same reason why, like, H.P. Lovecraft's elder gods and outer beings or whatever are terrifying. It's because a good Godzilla movie is told from the perspective of, we are human beings living in Godzilla's world. Yes, we are. We, we, we are nothing. We are fragile little flesh and blood creatures against this creature that we can do nothing to. Yeah. It, it is supposed to be through the lens of the horror is generated from these are human beings existing on a world that now and always has belonged to this thing. Yes. Uh, and, and that's why it's scary. And that's why I bring up Godzilla because I have urged you to do the same. And I will urge the same of our listeners if they have a passing interest in Godzilla that you must absolutely under all, any circumstances watch Shin Godzilla. Yes. Shin Godzilla is, I believe, the best Godzilla movie other than the first one. It's so good, and for everything that this movie's getting panned for, the story not being good, the human characters not being interesting, it 100% fixes that. It's made by Hideaki Anno, who made End of Evangelion, Evangelion, and a Gunbuster, I think. Uh, but it's so good. So good. And oh. I just I just want to add one more thing to the King of Monsters, not review, whatever you would want to call this, parade through, prance through, or prancing through it. Yeah. Charles Dance, the master at work, he acts circle, like it feels like he is playing with the other people. Like at any any moment, he could just like eat the other actors on, yeah. on the set. Like he... He brings his A-game to this movie in a way that brought... Every time he was on screen talking to somebody, I was excited. I, he filled me with joy. I love Charles Dance's performance because in a movie where the, the human performances, for the most part, are like pretty soft. Because I feel like the actors understood that their role... What, what it was. But Charles Dance, I feel like, can't turn off being Charles Dance... There was a scene where I think someone is loading something into a Humvee and Charles Dance comes out and says, what are you doing? Yeah. But he delivers, what are you doing? With such incredible, like, cutting, dramatic edge that the theater bust out laughing because the way he delivered that line was so wholly serious compared to everything else we were seeing that it like short-circuited people's brains oh and i just want to say this this cinematic universe the kaiju cinematic universe the toho godzilla whatever we want to call it cinematic universe better not get canceled because this is the second time spoiler a little bit that Charles Dance shows up in a post-credit scene, yeah. setting up a future addition into a cinematic universe. And I just want to say, for half a second, for maybe a full second, I swore he was going to say, <laughs> let the games begin. And if he did, I would have lost it. If if he said that, then it, 
it it would have sold everything this podcast stands for. We have been shouting things into the ether for so long that if he had said that, we would know that our words are becoming true as they leave our mouths. Uh, honestly, Godzilla King of Monsters is kind of like a fulfillment of all the shouting into the abyss we do because... One, it's a Godzilla movie. Two, it's got Charles Dance in it. Uh-huh. Three, the human story was actually tied to the kaiju story for once, and it wasn't just, let's try to survive around the monster. They were actually, like, interacting with each other. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of what you need to do for the human story, I think, to keep me interested. Yeah. And four, Stranger Things, Millie Bobby Brown. So, like, <laughs> all of the things we like... Put into one basket. And I think that's why we like it and maybe why nobody else likes <laughs> yeah. it. This movie really exists for us. It, it, the only thing they could have done is put Godzilla behind an American muscle car. <laughs> yes. If Godzilla had been behind the wheel of 2,000 pounds of American steel, then that movie would have been uh, much better. Yeah, that's what was. that's why no one liked it. Godzilla <laughs> doesn't drive. Godzilla does not Drive a muscle car. He needs to drive a muscle car to get a 10 out of 10. I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry. Sorry, uh, Michael Doherty. Who cares? I don't make the rules. But see Shin Godzilla. All right. Henry, let's watch Shin Godzilla. We could screen it on my giant TV. I've, I like Shin Godzilla so much that I've been considering buying the Blu-ray of it. If you do, it'll look super crisp and probably a little too Chris. <laughs> probably. Pro- we saw like one part of a trailer for Spider-Man Homecoming on my TV and for half a second Jamie went, I'm getting nauseous. Oh no. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe TV too big, too powerful. TV so good. TV <laughs> could feel Shin Godzilla. TV. Uh, I don't know if you'd want to feel I parts feel of Shin it. Godzilla. Oh man, the ribcage. Shin Godzilla is a gross movie. It's really good. Oh, Jamie would hate it. Uh, I think everyone here well, in this it. room would love Shin Godzilla. That's just us two. Yeah. Oh God, Zilla. Uh, yeah. No, watch Shin Godzilla. That's all I had to say about Godzilla. Okay. Is I liked it. You should go see it. Please watch Shin Godzilla. Also, Godzilla's good. Godzilla... I think... I honestly think it's getting unfairly panned. Yeah. I I feel like the characters, for the most part, were believable. I liked them. Except for maybe the father from Friday Night Lights. I don't believe... Here's something that I think exists in modern criticism. And I know we spend a lot of time on this podcast talking about our criticisms of criticism. Somebody has to. I do believe... In, I do believe in media criticism right now. It's easy. No, it's fun. It's fun to pick an easy target. Yeah. It's fun to pick a movie where you can have a preconceived notion going in that it's dumb. And then you get to write a fun negative review. And I'm sure there are a lot of like media journalists out there who are writing genuine reviews of things that they found egregious. But I also feel like... For a lot of people, it's easy to pick on a movie that you don't understand the cultural relevance of, or you don't understand the history of, or you just don't want to give a fair shake, which is totally fine, I guess. But I feel like Godzilla is an easy movie to do that to, which is unfair, because I feel like it's not a 30% movie. Feel like is that what it has? I don't think so. I think okay. it's like a fifty or a sixty. I think but that's I'm, fair. I'm just saying. I, I think that it's good. It's on. 
It's on the good side. Yes. It's way better than Godzilla 2014. Yes. I have heard as much. It is so much better than Godzilla 2000. So, uh, even better than Godzilla 1998 with Zilla? I don't think... Oh, wait. 1998 was Skinny Godzilla Matthew Broderick. I thought that was 2000. No. That's the one I meant. Godzilla 2000 is an entirely different thing. Although Uh, I will say that, uh... That was a gender bend remake that nobody really complained about Godzilla being a girl. <laughs> You're right. No, they, they complained about everything else in the movie. What's crazy about it uh, after uh, after Godzilla 1998 came out, when they found out Godzilla's an asexual woman, Dan Aykroyd came out and said he's remaking the original <laughs> Godzilla with the original cast of uh, Bill Murray. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was real weird. There was an online petition. People were saying social oh justice warriors are ruining Godzilla. That was way before all that, man. Yeah. It I was remember before... that simpler time before, like, the misogynistic side of the internet was just like, shut up? It's before our brains rotted, I guess. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, Godzilla 1998, very bad. <laughs> not Super bad. The not, worst. Not the worst Godzilla movie, but definitely one of them. Completely misses the point of Godzilla. Completely misses the point of kaiju movies. Completely misses the point of everything about the genre and Matthew Broderick. They just wanted to make a late 90s sci-fi horror movie thriller. It's the same people who did Independence Day and, and The Day After Tomorrow. Tomorrow. <laughs> the Day After Tomorrow. You know what my favorite thing with Godzilla 1998 was? Yeah. Uh, I, had, I do know. I had the the Zilla toy. Oh, yeah? Its skin was soft. Oh, gross. It was, like, all squishy. Is that because it's a woman? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> it's soft mo- skin. It's moisturized. Moisturized skin all the time in the salt water. Uh, but no, I, I do think that Godzilla's good. Not just this movie, but as a concept, I think oh, that Godzilla it's is a, a solid. Yeah, it so- always has been a solid concept because it's so adaptable, you know? Originally came out as kind of like, this is the horrors of nuclear war. Now it's kind of like, this is the horrors of unimpeded human consequence. Yeah. We did this to ourselves, and now we have no recourse but to watch it unfold, which is what is fucking happening right goddamn now. Yeah, Godzilla King of Monsters is a global warming movie. Hey, uh, you remember... Not to say, not to not to gas up Shin Godzilla anymore, but you know how the best Godzilla movie was uh, inspired by a great nuclear disaster that happened in Japan? Sure. Remember the earthquake and the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant? Is that what's I ins- wonder what Shin Godzilla is heavily oh. inspired by and has scenes from in the movie. Uh. I wonder... Oh, it's so good. They do a lot of miniature... I can't even... We just have to watch it. I can't wait till the Russian Godzilla comes out. <laughs> Chernobyl Godzilla. Chernobyl Godzilla. Chernobyl. Uh, Chernobylzilla. Yeah. That's enough about Godzilla. Because there's a second thing. A second beer, if you will. There's a second event that took place on the world stage. For a unique niche. A unique niche. Uh, this, you know, these people haven't really gotten their time in the sun yet. There's a lot of controversy around this hobby because people read a lot into the misogynistic <laughs> stuff. And, uh, of course, we're talking about 
the U.S. Women's <laughs> World Cup team. Wow, it's weird how that actually tracks. Uh, yes. Give them a shot. Watch some soccer. Pick up your fucking TVs. Pick up your TVs. Pick them up. <laughs> Pick up your very light 80-inch TVs and throw them against the ground. I just want, for the record, I just want to say... My television is only 55 inches. Oh my god. It is god. not 80 inches. So pick up your TVs and throw them on the ground and also watch the Women's World watch Cup. Watch the Women's World Cup. That's because all I'm asking. Here's something that you have to go through. How often is a World Cup? Four years? Four years. Every time you watch the World Cup, here's what you do. You spend a second, if America's in it, Kind of having, like, jingoistic pride. And then that gets crushed. And then you find a team to settle on. I forgot what team I bet on last World Cup. Oh, we should bring that back. Mine was Iceland because it was the first time they had, they had ever made it. And didn't that they, small nation... Didn't they get crushed? Oh, they got destroyed. <laughs> yeah, that small nation had so much hope. I just wanted them to, to, to keep going. I feel like I was Christmas Island or some shit. Uh, or Peru. Now... If you don't want to lose your jingoistic streak and you actually want to feel pride in your country, watch the Women's World Cup because the women's U.S. soccer team is dominant, powerful, unstoppable. Do you have a reason to be proud of your nation that's founded on, like, actual good reasons and not just, like, blind, weird things that your dad told you? Yeah. Women's World Cup. You want to have a reason... That's not a lie to feel some amount of pride for America. Women's World Cup. Women's World Cup. Women's World Cup. The only thing we have to be proud of. (laughs) The only thing left. (laughs) Anyway. I think that's a good subtitle for it. Yeah. So watch Godzilla. Watch the Women's World Cup. Yeah. And now let's talk about this huge cultural event that happened for like this, this niche interest group. I'm not familiar with what you're referring to. Oh, you don't know about the three E. <laughs> oh, the three E's. Everyone, we cover E3 every year, and usually we go through, you know, point by point and give report card grades. I don't think that's necessary this year, and, and ask me why. Uh, is it because press conferences are different now? Press conferences are, are definitely different now, and also... Some companies just aren't even participating anymore. Uh, so I feel like E3's dying. I don't think it's dying per se. I think it's transforming. Everyone just wants to become Devolver Digital. I do want to talk about them. I really do. But I feel like the whole nature of the conference is changing away from like a press only, we're going to announce to the world our projects kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And more to engaging with fans and engaging with the actual gamers that the entire industry is built upon. Yeah. Because now it's like there's more floor space, there's more booths, there's more demos, there's more things for people who actually go. And there's less of like, we're going to lay out our whole business plan for the next year. You know, there's less of like, we're working on a console. We're not going to tell you about it right now because... Well, that would bore you. Here's some games, you know. Yeah. We're shying away from, like, this is for the investors and more so to for this is for the players. They they really... I feel like E3 used to try to serve too many masters in that they wanted to be, here's our corporate talk, here's our press talk, 
here's our fans talk. Exactly. And and now everything that's like tech, corporate side, that's all like GDC or DICE or whatever. Yeah, they, they've got separate venues now. And, and now they're just using E3 as a way to disseminate information. I feel like a lot of companies have used that as an opportunity to broadcast through streaming their press conference without having a presence at E3 for the most part. Yes. Didn't Square Enix do that? Well, Square Enix was actually there this year. Okay. Who did that other than Nintendo and Devolver Digital, of course? Those two. Okay. Um, I don't think anyone else did, like, a direct sort of thing. Now, I think PlayStation did one for, like, the surprise, like, release of God of War. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm-hmm. So I think more companies are kind of gravitating toward that. Wait, surprise release of God of War? In the past, the last one. Oh, you're right, you're right. It wasn't really shown at E3. Mm -hmm. It was a suddenly, he's like... Hey, by the way, we've been working on God of War. Here's the announcement for it, separate from any event. Yeah. I might be misremembering. Mm-hmm. But um, really, it's just Nintendo has divorced itself from the physical presence, although they are still there on the floor for the fans. Yeah, the Nintendo Direct really changed the way that things are done. And I don't know if we can go company by company just because the presence is so weird. Well, it's also weird because you've got Microsoft who showed off 60 games in their in their press conference and in their and their showing and only two of them were actually exclusives. The rest of them they were just beating other companies to the punch by saying, "Hey, you know, we just get the announcement of this game. It's going to be on more platforms. You just won't hear about those platforms during our conference. And also, a lot of it has to do with the fact that platforms are dying. A little bit, because Xbox also announced uh, their, their Xbox Game Pass, which is it's kind of like you. It's kind of like Netflix in a way. You pay yeah. a subscription service, a, a fee, and you get to play whatever game you want. They announced that for PC. It's just like a PlayStation Now. And there's been pretty persistent rumors about them putting out Xbox Game Pass on Nintendo Switch. Yeah, there, there has. And we thought we were going to hear something about it, but that didn't come to uh, pass. But it, it will eventually come to a point, I believe, where every video game is just streaming. I mean, Stadia, the Google uh, whatever console... That's how it's going to do everything. Yeah. It's a streaming console. At, at this point, having onboard graphics hardware is going to be a thing of the past. And Hopefully, of, eventually, internet speeds will catch up. Yeah. And, of course, Ubisoft announced their Game Pass as well. Mm-hmm. Like, Ubisoft Game Pass Plus or something. Sure, great. Which, basically, it's everyone's moving to this model of, like, you give us money per month, we give you access to our games, and also free access... To our newer games. Yeah. Which is kind of like your selling point. It's kind of like having Stranger Things Season 3 mm-hmm. on your service. Now you get to play Halo Infinite before anyone else on our service. Everything's just going to eventually become Netflix, which is good and bad. I, It's an interesting thing because as it becomes available on more platforms, I think the only company, only two companies you're not going to see this from is Nintendo and Sony. Because mm-hmm. there's no way I don't think... They will ever break from being, we push software, hardware with software. Mm -hmm. I could maybe see Sony doing it. I could almost in no way imagine Nintendo doing something like that. Because Nintendo, uh, their business model that has been extremely successful for so long is people will pay a pretty exceptional long-term premium 
for our hardware, which isn't that powerful, and physical or digital copies of our games, which never go on sale. Yeah. And and they've flourished like that because it's the only place where you can get these things. Some shit is just Nintendo shit. I mean, the Nintendo seal of quality has held up even through the bad times. Like, even during the Wii U years and some of the misguided attempts of, like, Virtual Boy... <laughs> They, 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 not everything has been a hit, but that Nintendo seal of quality, that little, like, gold seal that appears on most of their games, has still, like, held up. They're still some of the most fun. They give me exactly what I want every presentation. They're, they're Pixar. They're they the Pixar, yeah. They know what works, and you will pay a premium for what works. I mean, I, look... I will buy every Pokemon game that comes out. There's no secret. That, that, and that's a game whose formula has not changed <laughs> since 1998. Yeah, I mean, I've been playing through Zelda Breath of the Wild, which, by the way, Breath of the Wild 2 announced. Dip, You're right. This is the first time in years, John. The first time since I want to say... And I'm, please correct me. First time since Majora's Mask. 1998. That a game, a Zelda game, a Zelda sequel is announced that is going to use the same engine. That means they're, they're already done. Yeah. With the groundwork. They can spend a hundred percent of their time on characters, stories, new mechanics. Like they could, the world is open to them. They don't have to lay down any groundwork. Yeah. I, in playing Breath of the Wild, I, I had a thought because I climbed up to the top of a tower, which Breath of the Wild is perfect in its construction because you can do whatever you want whenever you want. Yes. You're like, do I just want to harass chickens all day? Sure. Do I want to find all the dogs in the game and pet them? Yes. Yes. Do I want to find that one special colored dog in the Luralin village and feed it an apple? Do I want to tr- try to ride that weird spirit thing that <laughs> glows sometimes? Yeah. Do I want to see what this dragon's about? Uh, there's, there's all of that. And the, the thing that I was thinking, because I climbed to the top of a tower, I talked to a guy, uh, and he has an interest in bird men and wanted to become a bird. And he had such a cool individual character design and was very specific in his motivations and the writing was incredible. And he had a little mini game to go along with him. And then I was like, wait, this guy looks different from everybody else I've ever seen. He must be unique. So I decided to go to Kakariko Village and look at all the people. All of the people have totally different character designs. There, There's no reused assets. And, and then I went to Hateno Village. Not only completely different character designs, completely different clothes because they're in a different region. And they all have different things. And I was sitting there with my Nintendo Switch and I was like, this might be one of the best, most curated experiences on Earth. And then, a couple hours later, they announced Breath of the Wild 2. Yeah. And I could not be more excited. Yes. Nintendo knows what they're doing. They do. They're selling a pretty powerful tablet with some of the best experiences known to man. It, it, it's like being creative inside the box, as opposed to like revamping and creating like a more powerful box. Yeah. It's being creative within the limitations you set yourself. And they have done a phenomenal job of just time after time knocking it out of the park. They consistently produce less powerful, more compact, more quirky hardware. 
Uh, but consistently they work within those specifications and they just make good stuff. You can't fault a craftsman who uses poor tools to make tools. <laughs> tools. Make, that uses poor tools to make great art, you know? Like, no. I'm not going to fault them for writing in pencil rather than typing it up on a laptop. And, and that's why people like Nintendo stuff, because it feels loved. It feels like the people who made it were... And I'm sure there's, like, crunch and shitty working conditions because there is all over the place in tech. Well, that and that's also just a weird societal thing in Japan. Yeah, true. But I do feel like everything they make is is lovely. Like, it's it's effusively imbued with love. I mean... And I really hope that Breath of the Wild 2 gets fucking weird with it. I want it to be darker. I want it to be the Majora's oh, I want, Mask. Absolutely. I want it to be the Majora's Mask because you you're already operating from a position where... Breath of the Wild had the most strangely dark premise for a Zelda game, which is, this is a Zelda game that takes place after everyone's lost. It, this is the post-apocalyptic, people are just barely scraping by Zelda. Yeah, and if you can have the Majora's Mask version of that, you've got my money. I, I just have to finish all of Breath of the Wild and all of the DLC first. Good luck. It's going to take a long time. Now, a few things... Weird common themes popped up in this E3 across all of the presentations. I watched all the major companies, even the PC gaming show for some reason. I mean, shout out to Day9, but that was kind of like a snooze fest. Mm-hmm. Day9's an internet personality. Okay. Um, <laughs> filling you in. I didn't, I had no idea. But is it, he a Dota streamer? He does occasionally stream Dota. He he got his start kind of StarCraft, mm-hmm. moved into Hearthstone, moved away from that to Magic the Gathering Arena Online or whatever the fuck that's called. Cool, great. Uh, he's just a very personable, very conversationable person who commentates a lot. I don't want to go on more about Sean Plot. Why did you trick me into talking <laughs> about him? I don't want to talk about Sean Plot anymore either. If I were to ask you, John, which... 80s movie was referenced the most this E3 in the weirdest way. Which 80s movie? 80s as in the entire decade of the, the 80s. The entire decade of the 80s. But Ooh. it was it was a very like a uh, very popular action movie in the 80s and it was referenced 3 times this really? E3. Very popular action movie in the 80s was it Big Trouble in Little China? No, this Maybe maybe it'll help us say this was turned this it turned into a franchise. Okay, was it Rambo? Yeah, no. that would be that would be something. But no, it wasn't. Dang, this is the weirdest thing. Was it Predator? No. Okay, that's so my three. It's the weirdest because like, and, and it's divorced from everything. It popped up in Gears of War Five. It popped up in another game I can't remember right now, which sucks. Damn it. And it also popped up at the end of the Devolver uh, Digital uh, Direct, mm-hmm. for lack of a better word. Terminator. Oh, okay. There's going to be Terminator video game content in the form of weird DLC. I think it was Ghost Recon, of all things. Ghost Recon, Gears of War 5, and then just an homage at the end of Devolver Digital's Direct. Okay. Terminator. Why? That is the weird question. I don't know. Other than there's going to be a new Terminator movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger coming out called like 
Terminator were at ideas. I mean, Terminator rules. I'll just come out with that is the Terminator and Terminator 2 rule. Yeah. Uh, but that's odd that that would be all over the place. Super weird. Uh, I know that uh, John Bernthal stole Keanu Reeves' dog. <laughs> <laughs> so it, this was also a weird year for actors in video games. Because... Oh, pop, pop. Um, yeah, so Cyberpunk 2077. Uh-huh. CG Pro- CD Projekt Red's... C- next. C- CD Projekt Red's game with a really abysmal, pretty bad and offensive Twitter presence. Well, I... I, Whoever runs that shit has not done a good job. I know that they are Polish and maybe they don't understand the nuances of the internet. Every European country takes 15 years to understand if something's not cool to say. I have no idea, to be honest. I I don't follow their twiddle. Their twiddle. (laughs) (laughs) I don't follow their twiddle. <laughs> oh, yes, the twiddle of the underlings. Oh, I, I, I deign to follow that. Get ye back to the basement. CD Projekt Red's new big game. New big fancy game. Body mods, super hot. Everyone's got, like, blades coming out of their arms. Yeah. Counter Reeves was he modeled perfectly with no body mods. Is he in it? He's in it. With his voice? And his likeness. That seems weird. Well, that means they paid for his likeness. Because but I don't like... To use an actor's likeness, you have to, like, rent it. I don't like that. You I know, like... To be clear, I love Keanu Reeves. I actually, when it, when it popped up, I wanted to talk to you about it. Yes. Because this has been done time and time again before. Mm-hmm. William Defoe, Ellen Page, Between Two Souls. Yeah. I, I played it. Beyond Two Souls? Who cares? Beyond Two Souls. A David Cage production. Um... Kevin Spacey in one of the, the endless Call of Duty games. <laughs> I mean, this has been done. Now, John... Is there a mod to replace Kevin Spacey with a rat? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. But now, John John Bernthal mm-hmm. in a, a Rainbow Siege or Ghost... Ghost. It's, an, it's a Ghost Recon Rainbow game. Ghost. Rainbow Ghost Outlaw Wolves. Sure. <laughs> There's only one kind of man, and that man is an outlaw who is an alpha who is a howling wolf. If you are an outlaw howling wolf, AR-15, join my squad. I'm John Bernthal. My favorite. This is my dog. His name is Tactical Barrage. My favorite quote was, we are ghosts, and ghosts never die. And I was like, yeah, because they're already dead, John Bernthal. What if he said, we are ghosts, and ghosts are very good at doing reconnaissance, or recon for short. <laughs> we are the ghost recon. And goes, and goes, ghost recon, origins. <laughs> but actors in movies, so like Norman Reedus in Death Stranding, yes. you know, I'm totally okay with that. Actors and video games. Is it good? Is it? I love Keanu Reeves. I think he, among Hollywood people, can do no wrong. I will 100% support CD Projekt Red as soon as I upgrade my PC. (laughs) Is is actors and video games good? I don't like it. I don't think it's necessary. I think that something that you run into that is really of concern to me about putting Keanu Reeves in Cyberpunk 2077 is that you you run into this I think you can get away with certain things with like Norman Reedus or even John Bernthal 
when you put someone like Keanu Reeves in a video game, or at least their likeness, there's so much pressure to, like, make meta-textual narrative jokes or come in with assumptions about that character that doesn't necessarily allow that character to live, like, the full vibrancy of the created narrative because they're creating it with the assumption that they are treating this actor's likeness a certain way. Yeah. And if a, if an actor's likeness exists in our subconscious, then we have certain expectations of them. Like, we expect Keanu Reeves' character in the game to be kind of laid back kind of cool and also to stand up for what's right yeah so if in the game there's a weird scene where like he's weirdly like prejudice or something that's gonna ring extremely false yeah we we can't i mean keanu reeves could voice a character i guess but it, it just seems extremely strange to me to to lose a certain amount of narrative freedom just for the sake of having keanu reeves in something but that's also, it doesn't carry over to people like Norman Reedus and Death Stranding, because Norman Reedus is a weird, very strangely artistic and nomadic dude who's friends with Hideo Kojima, and seeing them, like, that's okay, even though there's a lot of what about, super weird stuff about Death Stranding, like about, Hideo Kojima hates women and the two female characters in this are called Fragile and Mama. There's a whole lot you could read into this about Hideo Kojima's relationship with women. Also Why? making Karen Wagner way younger just because that's the version of Karen Wagner he had a crush on. I have no comments about Death Stranding because I have not watched that trailer. You should watch it. Uh, it wasn't 83. You're right. <laughs> I only watch things. Uh, but no, that's how I feel about Keanu Reeves. I love Keanu Reeves, and I want more of him. I very much liked his stage presence at the... Like, it was very clear that he had no idea what he was walking into <laughs> to present this video game. But he did, like, the most wholesome thing, which I'm sure everyone by now knows. Some He's, he's talking about... He's reading the teleprompter, and he's like, you know... A breathtaking world, and someone screams out, "You're breathtaking!" <laughs> and without missing, like, there's a small pause where you, you can see he's thinking, and then he immediately goes, "You're breathtaking!" <laughs> Back to the person, like, <laughs> so genuine. Like, there was a point people were cheering out because they were excited for him being there. Yeah. He's like, "Guys, guys, I need to get through this." <laughs> yeah, and then he, they even had like a weird crunchy moment where he was, he was like. You, I, you, when can you play the game? Well, check this out. And he does like the whole like point at the screen, and the screen doesn't play right away, yeah. and the camera kind of pans behind him, but he he holds it, and then like finally it transitioned. <laughs> I love I loved it. everything about he how he handled that, and then later in an interview he was like he he said he was blown away by how like just passionate people were not for the game. But for him being there. Yeah, people are in love with Keanu Reeves right now. For good reason. Keanu Reeves has been a very good person for a very long time. And I'm glad that people are finally loving him. Did... Okay, let me show you something about Keanu Reeves. You might have seen it because we retweeted it on our Twitter. Oh. But it's my favorite Keanu Reeves thing. Now, when you say we retweeted it, I mean, did you retweet it or did I? (laughs) What I do sometimes is I take control of our Twitter and retweet things. John... I want you to do that way more often. Uh, it's just things that I think fit our brand. I just don't want to do things, like, I don't want to feel like I'm the only one doing things on the Twitter. Wait, hold on. So, without further ado, Keanu Reeves at a presser for John Wick 3 Parabellum. 
I love movies. Gosh, I love movies. I love watching them, and I love making them. <laughs> Holy shit! <laughs> that was just unprompted. That's how we started the press conference. He just walked up. I love movies. <laughs> he, it seems like he's walking up to the microphone to... So Keanu Reeves voraciously watches movies. Yeah. He loves what he does. And it's amazing. He, he seems to, and I think the reason why we're going through like a Keanu renaissance is Keanu has... Please. Keanu reeves a <laughs> Keanu reeves a uh, He's got a personality trait, a unique personality trait that I feel like a lot of people are envious of, which is a like whole body appreciation for anything he has real enthusiasm punctuate that with a beer opening noise he he has real enthusiasm for things which i feel like is so rare and so sought after because i feel like especially now and not to be like an old man yells at cloud but i feel like we are in a place where people are pretty aggressively branding themselves and it is kind of harder to be genuine on a daily basis. But to see someone that famous be like, I love movies. You know, it's just he loves his job. Yeah. It's, it's great. It's so and cool. I feel, I feel like when CD Projekt Red approached him to be in their, their, their video game, he was kind of like, well, walk me through it. What's it about? Because he seemed to understand what Cyberpunk 2077 was about as he was presenting it. Even though he did say the name of the game in an ordinate amount of times. <laughs> like, he just kept saying Cyberpunk 2070s. If you haven't watched him, you need to watch him. Because he just says Cyberpunk. He's like, Cyberpunk 2077 <laughs> I, is a game. <laughs> he's, uh, I mean, in pretty much everything he does, he, like, reads scripts. He makes sure that things make sense. He, he really cares for the things that he does. And uh, I badly want there to be an E3 in the future because Cyberpunk 2077 isn't going to come out in the next year. It yeah. can't, right? Well, he, here's the thing. Here's another common theme that came out amongst all the companies this E3. Nothing is coming out this year. Yay! Everything, like, I'm, I'm not everything. I'm, I'm overgeneralizing here. For the most part, like, 80% of the games were announced for 2020. Mm-hmm. So we've got a whole half a year, and then then some, because it's not it's not like, oh, it's January 1st, 2020, here's all the games we promised. Yeah. We've got like a year plus on some of these. So it, it's kind of like this, this whole presentation, while I did appreciate it, kind of could have happened at a later date. <laughs> but here's all we need. Since Cyberpunk 2077 is not coming out for another year, and neither is Ghostwire Tokyo... Oh, Ghostwire Tokyo! We need to, in some way, get Keanu Reeves and the lady presenter for Ghostwire Tokyo on the same stage. Yeah. And that's all I want. I She's so good. I feel bad. because She's so good. I should know more about her. She I, said, it's spooky. She, she's more than a presenter. Like she, she's a coder. No, she, she, she's, she's a designer or she something. She was like the the art director on Evil Within. Yeah, she she's been in the industry for a long time. Yeah, this is her first time on stage, mm -hmm. which might explain. And, I feel like she might have been a little nervous, and she killed it. I mean, she nailed it. Like the internet, 
Polygon put out an article like, the internet is ready to die for her. <laughs> yeah, uh, absolutely accurate. Uh, I... I was very excited when they announced Shinji Mikami, because I love everything Shinji Mikami does. Uh, but then it was Ghostwire Tokyo. I don't know. It's probably good. If it's made by Shinji Mikami's team, it's almost definitely good. It looked interesting. It kind of looked like, oh, it's the Rapture, but then they were, like, weird men yeah. with, like, disappearing nozzles. I, I don't know about the disappearing nozzle men. There was a lot at this E3, dude. From Software's making a game with George R. R. Martin. Elden Ring, which they have said in interviews, is their their biggest game yet. They they call it an open world game, which is interesting considering Dark Souls. Yeah, but they're and they say it's like to clarify, it's like open world can mean many things, <laughs> and it's like stop being vague for once. What I, just tell us one thing <laughs> straight up? Like even the trailer was like. You can't see it? No. Look into the sky. From, just to tell you, FromSoft will never give you your wish. Because if you ask a, a FromSoft employee what genre Dark Souls is, they'll be like, I consider it like a European emotional game. And you're like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, it takes you maybe 50 to 65% through Bloodborne to realize, oh... This is an eldritch horror game with swords in it. They they made Bloodborne where you realize the game you're playing when you're pretty much done with it. Yes. Uh which is genius. I love FromSoft. I they're one of my favorite companies and the fact that Elden Ring is a thing, the fact that George R. R. Martin took time out of his busy schedule to work on it that was said with some sarcasm. I'm super excited for that game. I want it to come out. I need it to come out. The trailer is so good and so cryptic. I have already watched Vidyavati's breakdown of the trailer. <laughs> I, everything about the way they the way they tell stories just grabs me in, in ways I, I, can, I can't even explain. I I love that trailer because it's visually impressive. Sure. But the thing that gets me is, like, from the cadence of how they're saying these words and not confirming them, uh, oh, it's a fucking FromSoft game. Yeah. I want that. You know it. I want that because you gave me no answers. Like, you could, we could learn nothing about the game. It releases. You boot it up. And it's, the trailer is the opening cinematic. And I would 100% still be on board because I'm like, all right, let's read all the item descriptions. Let's find this out. And also, it's a really fun game on top of that. Yeah, I, I love that FromSoft, who my early experiences with them were all in Armored Core games. Which is interesting because they haven't gone back to that. No, at Armored, Armored Core is good. Uh, <laughs> Armored Core? No, Front Mission. Right, no, Front Mission is the Square Enix turn-based one. Armored Core is the FromSoft one. Yeah. Uh, Armored Core is amazing. They made one for the PS3. Uh, the, there's an amazing speedrun of a Japanese person. Essentially, you can put parts on your robot anywhere you want to. And they beat the game by putting all of the thrusters on the right shoulder of it. So when you turn the thrusters on, the robot spins wildly out of control. That's amazing. Uh, and it's completely impossible to follow, and they beat the game that way. Uh, From Software is amazing. Cannot wait for Elden Ring. It's the thing I'm most hyped about. So, this, this ETH... Other than Gooigi. Oh, Gooigi. 
This E3 was a weird mixed bag of, like, no individual company, I feel like, did their... They did the best they could, which is to say I'm not going to hold anyone in, like, a weird negative light. If you forced me to grade them, the grades would probably not reflect well on them. But watching each presentation and taking the whole event as, like, one overall effect, I feel extremely optimistic for video games. I feel like... The art form is hitting a stride mm-hmm. in which, like, some companies are still, I can hold them accountable for being shitheads. But the companies that are kind of, like, waking up and they get it, they're finally making, I feel like, the games they want to make. Yeah. And, I, uh, there was a dark period in gaming from, like, I'm going to say 2004 to, like, 2012 Probably it's shorter than that. Maybe I'm kind of misremembering. But for the most part, it was, like, completely inundated with cover-based shooters. Video games that were, like, sad misrepresentations of their past. And, like, weird chest-high walls. Yeah. Video games were in a really weird place for a long time. And I feel like we've reached this, like, this level of... People settling into the new platforms, which when new things come out, it'll be entirely different. But I feel like we've settled into what technology is, at least for the time being. And we're getting, like, real, cool, creative decisions happening. It could be the weird effect of the cycle. Because, like, we are in the last 90% of this generation. Mm-hmm. Because the PS5 has already been kind of, like, debuted in hush-hush leaky ways. And Xbox did talk about the specs of their new console... Project Scarlet, which, whatever. Yeah, whatever. I don't care about it. And that they're promising things that it's just like, I don't even understand what 8K means. Yeah. And that there's no television that can do something with 8K, so why are you wasting our time? It's, it's getting to a point where the technological advancement means increasingly little. So You might as well buy a PC. Yeah. You might as well build your own custom build. They they just mean increasingly little to me, but I feel like maybe there's this, there's this moment near the end of the life cycle of every console where you reach this real artistic crescendo. Because if you look at like the very tail end of the PlayStation, you had things like Vagrant Story and Chrono Cross, which not a great game, but told an amazing, ambitious story. 30 playable characters. And had some of the best music ever. And then you look at the tail end. Hell, even the tail end of the Super Nintendo, you had like Final Fantasy VI, you had Chrono Trigger. And then you look at the tail end of like the PS2 and the GameCube. Amazing games coming out there. Shadow of the Colossus. The tail end of the PS3 brought us The Last of Us. Yeah. One of the best cinematic experiences that also happens to be a video game. It was like God of War 3, Last of Us, just some really amazing stuff. And now for the end of the PS4, the end of the Xbox, and the middle of the Switch. Well, the, I, Nintendo has, already, has, has always been on a weird half yeah. step. Which makes me so excited because some of the most interesting shit is happening on the Switch. And the Switch has a lot of life left in it. Yeah. Banjo-Kazooie. Oh my god, Banjo-Kazooie's in Smash, John! Yeah. John. 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 I don't care for Smash. I don't fucking give a shit. I have asked for two things from Smash. Three things. I have asked a lot of things from Smash. One what? of them was Mega Man. One of them was Ridley. And the, 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 the only one that survived 
because they never gave it to me was Banjo-Kazooie. But fuck it. They did it. My favorite N64 games besides Harvest Moon, which will never be in. Banjo-Kazooie. It's in Smash. Banjo-fucking-Kazooie. Banjo. You don't understand, John. They did it. The Mad Men. They did it. When will they put ukulele in Smash? Oh, fuck off. <laughs> Banjo-Kazooie is in Smash. Probably they- in Ultimate 2 in 10 years. When will they put uh, Gooigi in Smash? That Luigi's Mansion 3 looks real good. There's a lot of stuff going on in that hotel. I love Luigi's Mansion. I really love the first one. I never played any others. Me either. Yeah. Uh, I The first GameCube game I played was Luigi's Mansion. It was a, it was a release... Uh, what do they call those? A release game. And then when I bought a GameCube, Super Mario Sunshine was out, and I was like, well, obviously I'm going to buy the Mario game, because the Luigi game must be the bad one, right? Yeah. Uh, and then I loved Sunshine, and then I went back to it years later, and I'm like, oh, this is, like, not a great Mario game. This doesn't control great. Uh, the mechanics are really I weird. agree to disagree. The camera's Man. horrifying. I loved Super Mario Sunshine. I agree to disagree. I think both games are... Pretty awesome. Uh, the, I don't know, just the aesthetic of Sunshine and everything, and the music is so good. I just don't like how it controls with the flood. That's fine. And Luigi's Mansion is a masterpiece of a game, like. Yeah. And that, that was the, one of the first games to come out on the GameCube to be like, this is the standard. This is, this is, we're not gonna go below this. Yeah. And honestly, GameCube probably the best Nintendo console out there. Animal Crossing. Didn't play it. I have no idea what you're talking about. You never played Animal Crossing? No, I played New Leaf. Okay. For like a month. I see who you are. A monster? <laughs> yes. How much time did we spend talking about E3? There's so much Not content. Not enough. There's so much. Devolver Digital. Yes. The Devolver you... Digital E3 announcement cinematic universe is becoming one of my favorite cinematic universes. So Devolver Digital is, number one, it's like the A24 of games. They produce things, but they only produce good things. What for the, the most fuck part. is A twenty four? A twenty four is a production house that produced like Ex Machina, Under the Skin, uh, Swiss Army Man. Okay, so indie films, but only good indie films. I think they also did Hereditary. Mm. They no, they did fucking American Honey, and they did Eighth Grade, maybe, and I think they did mid nineties. They they just, do quality stuff. They have a sharp eye. They know what they're doing. Devolver Digital is one of my favorite publishers, and do they actually develop anything? I don't think anything is developed in house. I think they just have a similar keen eye for good things. They really they are, they lit a fire under their asses by paying good money to make sure Hotline Miami was developed. They are the Cards Against Humanities of, of of video game developers. They're in on the joke. They make like they recap all of their. Jo- so they this this E3 they released something called the 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 uh, Devolver Bootleg. You can go on Steam right now, pay money to buy this game. It's eight games in one, uh-huh. and it's all weirdly downgraded. <laughs> it's Hotline Wisconsin. Oh, that's amazing. It's Enter the Gun Dungeon. It's all <laughs> bad rip-offs of the games that they have created. And you can go buy it and play it right now. It's pretty... It's, it's Hotline Milwaukee, because it's still an M. Okay, I would give anything to play Hotline Milwaukee. They just... They know quality. Mm-hmm. They, they develop it... 
they make really awesome violent games. Yeah. And every e- E3 since two years ago, they have hired a filmmaking company to continue this weird narrative that they've been building up. Didn't their first press conference have someone threatening to shoot herself and firing a revolver into the air to silence the crowd? Their CEO, Nina, yes. <laughs> and like it just keeps continuing. This past one, they moved to the direct format where they streamed directly from Nina's mind because she is <laughs> comatose from being shot by someone she killed accidentally in the first <laughs> press conference. This is amazing. Like, Devolver is my one of my favorite publishers. They're out of their minds, and their games are good. They they, they just know exactly what they're doing, and it's perfect. And I, you need to... Even if you have no interest in video games, if you have an interest in filmmaking, watch their shit. I, the thing about Devolver Digital, and this is something that any publisher hopes for and very, very few achieve, in that if I'm looking at anything and I see that it's published by Devolver, I'm like, that's probably pretty good shit. Yeah. Like, uh, Katana Zero. Yeah. On Nintendo Switch. I saw that. I was like, this looks kind of like, uh, like an aping 80s aesthetic kind of cyberpunk. I don't know if, the- oh, Devolver Digital? This is probably pretty fucking good. So I bought it and it's great. Enter the dungeon. Enter the gungeon. It's one of my favorite roguelikes that I've played. And I have played, I, just, I, want, I want to emphasize this, every roguelike. <laughs> I have played every roguelike. The Binding of Isaac and Enter the Gungeon are like the cream of the crop. And everything else, try harder. I, uh, I had a dream that uh, a DLC was released for Enter the Gungeon. Yeah. Uh, it in... <laughs> In my dream, the uh, the the sequel was called Ten Thousand Knives, and it was a version. Of, you know how Enter the Gungeon, everything everything's is a, gun, a gun pun. I I thought it'd be interesting if if you could go through a portal to the world of knives and everything was knife related. No lie, they announced. Uh, they did announce a thing for Enter the Gungeon, didn't they? Yes, they did. But it's not. But knives. it's not. It's not knives. It's called. Uh, I don't know what it's called, but it's House of the Gun Dead, and Great. it's a light, a light gun shooter. It what? is an arcade shooter. They are actually one hundred percent going to be in arcades with House of the Gun Dead, a light gun shooter of Enter the Gungeon. Devolver's even, too good, and you can buy one from your for your home. Devolver's too good. They are. Look, I will never see that. I will never see that in my life because it's too niche a thing. But that is some shit, man. That is awesome. Like, De- Devolver's got it figured out, dude. No other publisher or developer is making arcade games in this. I don't think Mortal Kombat 11 came out on arcades. I don't think so. Correct me if I'm wrong, whatever your name is. <laughs> well, Correct me. Neversoft. Oh, no, yeah. who, who the fuck makes that? Netherrealm. Netherrealm. Not Neversoft, the careers of Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. I thought they did Neverwinter Nights. No. Baldur's Gate 3, John! Yeah, Baldur's Gate 3. Made by Larry and my one of my favorite companies! The creators of Dr- Dragon? No. What's Divinity, it called? Divinity Original Sin. And the, also Divinity the Dragon Knight Saga. Divinity which Dragon is Better than people think. Divinity Original Sin 2, which I put in 80 hours and devoured 
every delicious bit. I've heard it's good. Larry and really good people, really I I don't I'm not a fan of the CRPG genre, but the fact that there's going to be a Baldur's Gate 3, which was like there was Diablo and there was Baldur's Gate. Like these were the games. These were the two games you had and they made PC gaming besides Doom. They made PC gaming what it was. The fact that we're getting a third after like 20 years. Yeah. That's amazing. So now that Baldur's Gate 3 is coming out, does that mean that they can finally make Planescape Torment 2? Get Obsidian to make it? Can we get Obsidian to make New Vegas 2? New Vegas. Oh, wait. Two they Vegas. Did. They did. It's called uh, The Outer Worlds. Yeah. It's called. It's an Epic Games whatever. Yeah. Fuck you, Epic. Whatever. I have one more thing to talk about. Yes. There's a new Contra game. Contra? On the Switch. Wait. There's a new Contra game. Why? I don't know. Dude, Final Fantasy VII Remake. That actually looks really good. It looks really good, actually. I I thought I wasn't going to like the the transition to like an action RPG thing. But they, they, the way that they explain the combat, it's Kingdom Hearts. It's Kingdom Hearts yeah. with a weird pause tactical mode. They did like Kingdom Hearts. You ever play Crisis Core Final Fantasy VII? No. Uh, it's like they took Crisis Core, which was like a prequel to Final Fantasy VII, mixed it with Kingdom Hearts, and mixed it with Final Fantasy XV, took all the parts that worked, and then just did it. Plus, it's like Kingdom Hearts with Vats. Oh yeah, that's exactly what it is. Kingdom Hearts with the Fallout system Vats. And it looks... Like the most gorgeous game I have ever seen. It looks beautiful. I was watching a uh, a video where I I will for E3 sometimes I'll watch giant bombs streams of things. That's good. Uh, and I, good. I was watching them streaming the Square Enix conference, and when they were doing the fight with the big scorpion thing that you fight at the end of the Mako reactor yeah, yeah. at the beginning of Final Fantasy VII, at the end of the demo slash the end of the first dungeon thing, uh, I was watching that, and I don't know, I found myself in a weird position, and maybe this is the Godzilla thing, because Final Fantasy VII is a big part of my past. But they were just kind of talking and be like, oh, this battle's going on for a while. Or, ah, oh, I don't know. They were just being kind of negative, And it's fine. So I turned it off and watched it by itself. It was so good. Yeah, it looks so good. Sometimes negativity is too much. Well, there's a thing with people in the industry, content creators, that can get a little jaded mm-hmm. or cynical. I don't want to put Giant Bomb on blast, but I've seen this with, like, Funhouse. Yeah. Funhouse will will naysay a thing that I think is pretty cool, but it's because, like, they can kind of see in relation to their world what that's going to mean. A long boss fight means, like, wow, we got to fill this dead air with something. Yeah. I thought the boss fight that we watched, the, the, uh, the, the scorpion thing, I could see myself trying that a bunch of times, trying to figure out the strategy, because it, it seems more... It seems like part puzzle, part boss fight, which is... Yeah. I, I can appreciate that it's not just, oh, slash, 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 it's dead, slash, 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 it's dead. You have to think, you have to react, you have to actually use the mechanics of, of switching to your partner so they can do a thing. Yeah. Like, it looks well made to me because I'm a casual, not monetizing my play. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not viewing it as like a work day. I'm viewing it as... 
fun. It it also it spoke to me so directly because I was watching. I was like, wait, that's Cloud Strife. He just used Braver. He just used Cross Slash. Like I I'm I think Tifa did like Dive Kick at some point, and I was like recognizing limit breaks. I'm like, oh, it was just pumping joy directly into my eyes. As a person who's never played Final Fantasy VII, who stopped at Final Fantasy IV because they switched to like uh, PlayStation. Yeah, I the what what I'm seeing is this looks like a really cool original experience that I want to experience, and I have a PlayStation Four now. You got you got to do it, and I the fact that it's like yeah we we kind of broke up the game a little bit because this one is kind of like what we call Midgar. And then there's a second disc. I'm like, what the fuck is on that second disc? <laughs> like, if you you abandon an entire setting for a new... What is happening? Oh, dude. Not, you've never... Not since the GameCube has I, have I ever bought a game that requires a second fucking disc. It's insane to me that they've put so much into this that it's two Blu-ray discs. <laughs> two Blu-ray discs. That's, that's, what, 80, 90 that's gigabytes? A, that's an unbelievable amount of content. But also... I. Final Fantasy VII gets a lot of flack, but if you it does, it thought people loved it. People look up back on it very fondly, but some people will be like, "Oh, the story is trite or whatever." Yeah, Not, whatever. I don't agree. Uh, I think Final Fantasy VII is legitimately very good, but if you've never played it and you don't know what happens, and this is the first way, this would be a tremendous experience for me because. Final Fantasy VII is nuts. I I know one thing that happens because it's kind of like the Luke is your father of video games. Yeah. But that's all I know. That's the least important thing. Like, if you... God damn, Final Fantasy VII is nuts. I'm, if I'm if they keep everything in the game that was in Final Fantasy VII, then I I have to talk to you as you play that to know... What your feelings are. We could do a weekly segment where it could be like, <laughs> sorry I didn't get a chance to play. <laughs> yeah, that would be like me with most video games. Yeah. No, I am very optimistic about the, the future, the, the immediate future of video games. I'm less optimistic about, I, I'm always cautious about a, the ending of a generation and going into a new generation. Yeah. Because it, it says, I get it, hardware sells, hardware is where the money is. But at the same time, stop making new hardware. Yeah, just let us sit and enjoy. Please. I feel like I just got my PS4 and now they're talking about the PS5. Yeah, I got my PS4 like three years ago and I'm like, stop. I got mine maybe a year and a half ago and they're it's like, oh yeah, the PS5 vastly superior. I'm like, I got your fucking Pro. <laughs> yeah. You, I guess it was most... supposed to be the big one. I bought the Pro when it first came out. I'm like, a future proof done. Yeah, right? <laughs> they're never going to put out anything that's better than this. I thought generations were going to last longer because the tech wasn't going to, like, improve. But it's like, oh yeah, we put solid state drives in them. And it's like, well, why in the fuck did you do that four years ago when solid state came out? Yeah, I don't know, man. They gotta make money somehow. It's true. Anyway. I feel like now that I we've give, reached... Yeah, I give E3, this the complete experience, a solid A. I'm very happy with Banjo and Smash <laughs> and a bunch of other announcements. I, I feel like it's a really great time to be a gamer. I feel like but it's kind of like the marketing spin. 
of course, we're feeling good right now because that's how they want us to feel. And we'll, you got to be cautious. No pre-order. Never pre-order. Never pre-order. I I feel like I give this year's E3 a Dragon Quest Nine Tomb of the Luminary Definitive Edition S I edition. It, I thought it was Dragon Quest Eleven. I mean, eleven, I not nine. It's eleven. It's eleven. Are you gonna pick that up on the Switch? Uh yeah, I love Dragon Quest. I've never played one. You think? What would you recommend me walking into this one? Yeah, I never played Eleven, but I heard it's good. Well, I mean. You're right. That's a good way to respond to that because the game hasn't fucking yeah. come out. All Dragon Quest games are good. N- almost nothing will be Dragon Quest V. Yeah. Uh, if you could play Dragon Quest V, I'd recommend it. Is that on the Game Boy? I think it's on the Super Nintendo. Is that on the Game Boy? Uh, but I don't know. Dragon Quest XI is probably pretty good. It probably does the same thing that every Dragon Quest game does where the game is a certain thing up to a certain point and that's about 50 hours worth of gameplay. Uh, and then you realize what the game is actually about uh and the story turns 100 percent on its head it actually becomes mature and interesting and that's the other 50 hours because so these games are at least 100 hours long it's like nino kun and the white witch i've never played it uh, every dragon quest game does a thing where it's just a typical adventure up to a certain point does a flip and then it continues becomes card battles yes gwent 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 uh, E3. E3. Every gamer's Oscars, every gamer's <laughs> Emmys, the Tonys were this past weekend, every gamer's Tonys. It's a good time to be a gamer. The, the event's still going on, Nintendo Treehouse is going to do a bunch of bullshit. That probably will pass before Friday. It was a good event! It was a good event, and I feel like now that we've... Past our judgment on E3. It's time for the political update of the week. Oh no, there's a political update? I just want to read one headline. Mm-hmm. Because it's in vain of what we cover in politics. Yes. This is a second please <laughs> clap situation. Oh no. Here's the headline. Democrat presidential candidate... Can't, whoa! <laughs> Wait, hold on. Can I... <laughs> Democrat presidential... Kara did. <laughs> Democrat. Can I have a second take? <laughs> Can I? <laughs> yes, please. I hope you understand <laughs> that I do have to keep that in the episode. <laughs> you do. Can I get a second? Please, yeah. fans. Here's my second take. Okay, take two breaths and then a take. Fuck you. Democrat presidential candidate. Eric Swalwell? Yeah, sure. He said, I will be bold without the bull. I did a head turn during that because that's exactly what he did. And he paused after expecting applause from the audience. No one clapped. (laughs) No. No one appreciated he will be bold without the bull <laughs> what does that even mean it's one of those sound bites that you hope like goes viral you know yeah. like if you've seen veep or if you've seen house of cards they they always pin their, their their whole campaign on a slogan yeah which i don't might happen make america great again definitely happened but like they kind of just fucking forced that shit they didn't wait for audiences to applaud yeah they just were like, this is what it's going to be. It's like, it's like eat fresh. 
No audience was there to clap for Eat Fresh. They just fucking said, Subway Eat Fresh for 50 years. Yeah. To focus groups, I'm sure. Uh, really, I'm sure <clears throat> whatever media aid he had, he wrote that down and he was like, this is the winner. Like, it ain't. It ain't. That ain't it, chief. <laughs> did he Did he respond to the lack of applause? Oh, I don't know. This is just the direct response from two days ago. I just saved it because I remember... I, just, I love the please clap moments because politicians are like, yeah, people will bow down to me. I'm a fucking leader. It's like, no. <laughs> you can't get them to respond to your crappy slogans. You're not leading the nation. Can I and I've you- never fucking heard of him. Can I give you another please clap moment from the last week? Yeah. Amy Klobuchar. Who the fuck is that? She's the one who gave us her previous please clap moment. Oh. Where she said that's the part where you're supposed to applaud. <laughs> Literal please clap. She came out to uh, Hillary Clinton's classic entrance song. This is my fight song. Oh, really? She came out to that. Uh, to middling applause. And then she took the mic... And then decided to deliver the golden phrase. The most perfect phrase uttered by any human being immediately following listening to that song that every, that made everyone want to die four years ago. She held the mic and said, I love the fight song. And no one responded. She decided to say, I love the fight song. She doesn't know what this song's called. So, I feel like it's our duty as comedians slash personalities slash cultural cultivators of the fucking zeitgeist to keep pointing out these moments, not for any political reasons, but to just continue the thesis that politicians are not people. No, they absolutely are not people. They're like fucking weird robots. And this is across borders. We're not just focusing on like any one party. If a party member or if a politician fucks up, we will be there with a camera to fucking take a snapshot of it and then read it later on the podcast. Read it on the podcast. Such is our journalistic duty. Uh, Sure. I wouldn't call me a journalist. I would call me a drunk who talks into a microphone one night a week. Uh, I would call myself a journalist in that I went to the. uh, I went to college. I went to college. What the fuck? Okay. Then we're both journalists. Now that we have established that we are both journalists, I feel like it's time to wrap this whole episode up in a nice bow. And since I'm editing this week, I believe we've set a nice cadence where... I It's my turn to make fun of Jeff. Yes, it's your turn to make fun of Jeff during the social media plug. And do our... I was going to say that next. Oh, sorry. One more take? No, we, we don't have time. Oh, you're right. Sorry. So if you want to have more time, you can send us a concise message, 280 characters, on Twitter.com at ZCPCWHJ at Twitter.com. And of course, that stands for... That stands for Zidio Games... Pideo Games... Video Games... James. James... Willem. And if you want to send us an email, because you have a lot of time, because you're an immortal like that there, Keanu Reeves, you can send us an email at zero credits is a podcast at gmail.com. I haven't checked that in weeks. Oh no! 
Actually, we did get some Twitter interaction from Jeff, who said we need to check out the man from Tai Chi. Oh, the Keanu Reeves villain movie. Where Keanu Reeves plays a villain, because last week we said Keanu Reeves would make a good villain. I looked up Keanu Reeves' villain after we did that, and I got the man from Tai Chi. And so the Jeff... The man of Tai Chi. The man of Tai Chi? Of... I don't remember. Jeff told us that, but fuck him. If you want to leave us a review on iTunes, you absolutely should on Apple Podcast. Leave us a review. Jeff said he left us a review, but I have yet to see it because I don't have iTunes. But check out Jeff's review on iTunes. Maybe it's good. Maybe it's just a rating. We don't know. Leave us a rating or a review. It's the best way. We're coming at you, Mark Marin. We're going to beat you. To the potties. That's the podcast award show. We're on Spotify. Go to the podcast section of Spotify. Look up zero credit open parenthesis S close parenthesis. John is doing hand signals like a flight attendant. <laughs> and we are on Spotify. You can listen to us. My wife listens us to us there because it's much easier than fucking iTunes. We're on Facebook. Look for Zero Credits Podcast in the, the Facebook search bar. Whatever. <laughs> we were on Twitch. Not anymore. We still are, but we're not. Maybe we will be when we stream the entirety of Zero of Kingdom Hearts <laughs> with my wife. That'd be a good feature. I don't know how to stream from the PS4. It's easy. John will teach me. But lastly, and most importantly, word of the mouth is the only way we can survive because we only have one life and we YOLO'd it away. So if you give us another life, you gotta tell three friends and that's a quarter of a life. So four of you need to tell three friends and then that'll be four quarters of a life. That's one life. And then we'll be... On to the Bowser. Well, Bowser. We'll beat Bowser. Can one person tell 12 friends? What? Can one person tell 12 friends to create one life? One person cannot possibly have 12 friends. That's an insane number. My friends are video games. Banjo-Kazooie's in Smash! (laughs) And from... Do I? Dare I? You should, because I feel like... This is an A-B conversation. That was a whole lot of B. We need some A. So, from everyone here at the Zero Credits two-bedroom, two-bathroom apartment studios, we would like to wish you a happy E3-k. I like it. I like it. Bye? I don't know. Now it's the weird part where we say bye. Yeah, bye. 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 Bye.